We know that people who have a wealth management account with us also have twice as many active products with the credit union. They're more likely to have a checking account. They're great relationships. Moreover, they bring that money back to us. Wealth management includes the plan and products for building wealth, utilizing that wealth, protecting wealth, and transferring wealth. We're all experts on managed accounts and SMAs and annuities, brokered CDs, but a lot of advisors, especially in a bank, don't get that pure insurance training. Three years ago, we brought in somebody to actually do the plans for our advisors. I figured they're good at selling one-on-one. I don't want them inputting data and generating the plan. So because of that, the plans automatically come with that insurance component. Hello, and welcome to BISA Industry Trend Watch podcast. Good to have you with us today. Industry Trend Watch is a monthly series with industry leaders discussing trends in the financial institutions channel. Productivity trending is provided by our bankchannelresearch.com portal, an interactive tool that reports on channel performance based on data collected monthly from over 50 financial institutions. In addition to industry trends, you will hear our guests provide their perspectives on the evolving strategic initiatives that are driving success and enabling our channel to better compete in the broader financial services industry. But first, we'd like to thank Ameriprise for making these podcasts possible. And as a show of appreciation, let's please listen to this brief message. This is Chris Melton, National Director of the Ameriprise Financial Institutions Group. Ameriprise Financial Institution Group is a proud sponsor of the BISA Monthly Industry Trending Podcast Series. With more than 25 years of experience and knowledge in serving the investment program needs of local banks and credit unions, Ameriprise Financial Institution Group brings a depth of understanding as well as investment capabilities to help clients and members feel more confident, connected, and in control of their financial life. We look forward to learning more about your financial institution and sharing how a successful investment program can be a competitive advantage. Call us at 800-679-1237 or visit us at Ameriprise.com slash AFIG. Securities offered by Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Not federally insured, no financial institution guarantee, may lose value. Thank you. Hello and welcome to BISA Industry Trend Watch. I am Scott Stathis and I will be your host along with Bob Mattel, who will introduce himself shortly. This month, we will discuss managing through the current banking crisis as well as the interest rate environment and continue our exploration of the evolution from investment services to wealth management and what that entails. With that, let me pass it to Bob to introduce himself, and he will also have our guests introduce themselves. Bob? Well, thanks, Scott. And hello, everyone. I am Bob Mattel, the co-host of this podcast, and let me welcome you to this as well. I think Scott said something about current banking crisis, so I think we're going to really dig into that today. Um, but this is the BISA Industry Trend Watch, so appropriately, we will do that. And as Scott said, we have another great panel with us today. But before we meet them, let me remind you to visit BISANet.org for all things BISA. So now, let's meet today's panel. Donna, let's start with you. Hi, everyone. Thanks, Bob and Scott, for having me on today. I'm Donna McNeely, the president of Connecta Wealth Management. We are a wholly owned subsidiary of Connecta Federal Credit Union. 
The credit union is $6.5 billion in assets with 31 branches in Southern California and Rochester, New York. Also, we have 19 financial advisors, four platform reps, fairly new and growing, just past the $2 billion mark in assets under management, with $10.5 million in annual revenue for 2022. Thanks so much. So your credit union is on both sides of the U.S. You've got East and West Coast covered, huh? We sure do. <laughs> just like our banking crisis. Well, isn't that great? <laughs> All right. Well, let's move to Bill. Because Bill's on the other coast as well. Yes, Bill, Bill is on the other coast. Hello, I am Bill Hecklick. I work for S&T Financial Services. I'm affiliated with Ameriprise. Our, pro- our bank is 75 branches deep, getting close to $10 billion in assets. We have eight financial advisors. We have two associate financial advisors. My role at the bank is one of those eight financial planners, and I also coach and help our junior associate advisors. Ah, great. So you're right on the ground there, feet on the ground. We'd love to have someone with your background on there so we can really get a feel for what's going on. Awesome. Well, so with that, we have a lot to cover today as we are in uncertain times. So sit back, relax, get a cup of joe or a mug of beer. The last few weeks have been a roller coaster. Let me turn it back to Scott. All right. Thanks, Bob. And I just want to say congratulations, Donna, for your new appointment to the board of BISA. So it's great to have you on. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And Bill, it's always good to have who is an advisor as well as a manager on these discussions because you can keep us real. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I guess so. So let's start with a quick banking crisis question. So we're in the middle of it. You know, two bank. We have the collapse of two banks, and the conversation continues about solvency. So, is this affecting your organizations? If so, how? But more importantly, is it affecting the wealth management program? And how are your clients reacting? And how is all that being managed? So, Donna, would you like to kick us off? Sure, happy to do that. Um, Well, as an organization, the credit union took the opportunity to go out to the public and to our members to talk about the real differences between credit unions and banks, and primarily that as an industry, credit unions are more conservative due to just not having to be beholden to a board and drive revenue with things that might be a little riskier. So we did that. Also made sure they were aware that our quarterly financials are posted in our branches and invited our members in to look at those, you know, try to have some real transparency there. Um, And then the members are working with the front line to make sure they have maximum insurance coverage. And where I found some consistency that I thought was interesting of people pulling uninsured dollars out was in nonprofits. So they have some responsibility that perhaps others don't have. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. But for the most part, people just want to be reassured. And our front line was able to do that 
with confidence. And as institutions, we should never discount the value that they bring to the relationships and the trust of our members. The same's true about our wealth management clients. They're looking for the reassurance that their portfolios remain consistent with their goals. On the plus side for our team, people are really looking at the value they're receiving for their financial institution uninsured funds. So things that are over that uninsured amount, am I getting enough for that risk that I'm taking? And our financial advisors are amazing. I'm so proud because they are constantly reaching out proactively to our members and their clients just to ease their minds and make sure that they feel comfortable with everything that's going on and that they are still on track to meet their goals. The fact that they do that is actually one of our competitive advantages. Our frontline is able to ask somebody, you know, one of the big objections to a referral, oh, I already have a financial advisor. Well, now they say, oh, has your financial advisor reached out to you to talk about all this turmoil going on? Because I know our advisor is reaching out to all of his clients before they call him. So I think we've got some interesting things we're working with. So it reminds me of the the quote, never let a good crisis go to waste, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And it really speaks to the power of communication, right? Clients want to be communicated with at times like this and good advisors do use crisis to to communicate with their clients and engender trust and let them know we've got your back, right? So it is really a relationship development opportunity. It gives you a really good reason to reach out to your clients and evolve that relationship. At exactly. least that's my take. So Bill, you set me straight with that one. <laughs> I think you're on the right path. So in in our institution at the bank, they did a very good job, much like I imagine Donna's bank did, of getting out in front of it. Immediate press release, immediate contacts within the branch, making sure that everyone knew our specific financial strengths and the more uncommon reasons that those specific institutions failed that many other banks have nothing to do with. So. It was more educational from that perspective. As far as it actually impacted my practice, I'm going to go as close to zero as possible on the negative side. Actually, a pretty positive impact in that we were able to get in front of a lot of people that wanted some advice and wanted some education that we may never have been able to get in front of otherwise. And I'd love to hear that. And I think it does make sense. So there's, you know, there's a silver lining in this. And I can't help but wonder if there are advisors out there that are going so far as to do seminars based on this to position themselves as, you know, subject matter experts to a degree. Have you heard of anything like that going on? I have not heard of anything like that, but that's a great idea. I guess it's a matter of how quick you can get compliance to approve your seminar to make it timely. Yeah, of course, it always is, right? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a that's a good point. So, congrats to both of you for getting out in front of it and being proactive. And I obviously that's the right move. Bob, I'll pass it to you. Well, thanks. And just one footnote on the whole situation with these two banks fa- failing. 
They were then acquired by two other banks, obviously, that now have issues themselves that might create even more disruption in the um, banking community. And those are two banks that were of size now that now, I mean, in one case, they was bought by First Citizens. They went from a 50 billion to a 200 billion dollar bank overnight. So, I mean, think about that. Think about the other ripple effects of of this kind of uh, situation in our industry. If that wasn't challenging enough, we have to ask about current interest rates because God knows what that's doing to business right now as well. Current interest rate environments, has that been having any effect, Bill, on your plans for 2023? Has anything been changed? And how are FAs addressing their clients with regarding, regarding the whole interest rate situation we're in now? I think it affects clients that use debt in a smart way because that becomes a lot less attractive option with rates at double 2.5x what they were eight months ago, right? On the investment side of things, on the asset side, I think if you're a type of advisor that does a lot of fixed annuities and things like that, it's absolutely going to have an effect on you. For those of us that really focus on financial planning and the big picture, we see, okay, is that a tool to get something done that we wanted to use for this client? Are we in a different state than we were a year ago? How do we make that fit into the plan? Do you think it's having any effect on those advisors that are much more financial planning to become a little bit more transactional? Because in some cases, it is attractive. Yeah, it's it certainly has become something where I find myself sending a lot of clients to the bank to buy a CD with a portion of their funds because we haven't seen these type of CD rates in 12, 13 years. So it certainly affects that fixed annuities and things like that where the rates are significantly higher becomes more attractive as well. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say there's a big seismic shift in how people are structuring their practices, but they're certainly sprinkling in more of that. Yeah, that's what I would guess. And I'm wondering also, Bill, if banks are getting much more conservative with their CDs and wanting to hold on to them. Right? As you, you just mentioned, you might be pushing a few deals their way. Are they holding on to more CDs now, do you think? Yeah. Well, they, the inverted yield curve is interesting, though. The clients who haven't been in that market for years are like, oh, my God, why is a five-year CD half a, a one-year CD? Well, yeah. That's an education well. thing we go through. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. And, and just tell everybody to stay away from Bitcoin. Bob, I've got to add in real quick. I cannot tell you how many 75 plus year old clients have come in to me and asked about Bitcoin. Not recently, but you know, last year, two years ago. It was almost scary that people who aren't getting advice from someone might feel that that's an appropriate investment for them when they haven't had that professional advice. It's really scary. And if there's any benefit to this whole crisis, that certainly has raised folks' attention level on how a huge organization can get caught up in in something like that. So, Donna, how are interest rates on the other coast going? (laughs) So we're celebrating in the streets today because the 5% certificate ended. We had a 15-month 5% certificate in the credit union, and we haven't been able to move people beyond that new accounts desk because they're just piling in for that. So we were thinking, how can we take advantage of this great certificate rate, which we hate? But what we started to do was say, hey, you know, you've put so much into this certificate, you're now eligible 
for a financial plan, as well as a meeting with our financial advisor. So we did have a couple of people take us up on it, but moreover, we are very happy that that's over. We've been seeing a lot more fixed annuities than I've ever seen in my career. So we've got some of our advisors doing short-term treasuries, gold trusts, and then also recommending some high credit quality investment or bond investments for intermediate terms. And that's obviously in anticipation that the Fed will pull back someday and allow them to participate in some of those, some of the recouping of the losses those bonds had. Do you have situations where, let's say, because I mean, this has really been going on for the last eight months. Eight months ago, rates were two and three percent. Customers had buyer's remorse for something they may have bought you know, a year ago, something and say, you know, what's going on? What can I, what do I do now? Anybody facing any situations like that? Yeah, we definitely have people coming in and saying, you know, you've got 5% here. I, you know, I brought my funds in six months ago and I got three and a quarter and, you know, why can't I get that 5% rate? Um, you know, it, it's a tough conversation to have. And, you know, most of the people, though, have funds elsewhere. Right. And but, you know, you had mentioned, Bob, how does the credit union or bank feel about holding on to those funds? We still allow our members to break the certificate to go into a wealth management account without a penalty. We know that people who have a wealth management account with us also have twice as many active products with the credit union. They're more likely to have a checking account. They're great relationships. Moreover, they bring that money back to us in other certificates. So it doesn't end up being a loss. We're very fortunate in that our executive team, our CEO does see that and understand it. Well, that goes back to also, you know, clients just staying the force, you know, and it's, you know, that's what the title of this podcast is. In uncertain times, is it always better to stay the course? And if you have a good financial plan, you have a great relationship with your financial advisor, you know, you shouldn't be worried. You can come in and, you know, just check in and make sure that everything's fine. But, you know, that's the whole purpose of, of financial planning is to be ready and available for situations like this. And over the course of a decade, everything gets more normalized. And that's what we, I think we all preach out in the industry. Definitely. So I think it's time to turn the baton over. <laughs> it's a good lead in, right? Because the next question, and by the way, we're, as you know, we uh, industry trends, we collect data from the industry on a monthly basis and fixed annu annuity sales have been record breaking lately in our channel, right? So to your point, Donna, but, you know, back to planning, the channel has been using the term wealth management more and more so frequently. and we've been historically categorized as investment services programs. And now all of a sudden we're using wealth management. And we've said this in previous podcasts, but it seems to us that somewhat frequently wealth management is just a wrapper around the same old thing. Nothing has changed. Now there are exceptions to that, right? And that's what I'd like to talk about. I want to get your thoughts on the differences between an investment services program and a true wealth management program and what that means to you. So maybe Donna, you can start with that one. 
we actually changed our name to Connect to Wealth Management before we were actually doing wealth management. And what I mean by that is investment services is where you go to purchase investments. And we look at wealth management as starting with a plan, a financial plan, addressing all facets of a client's financial picture. It gives the strategic framework for the recommendation of investment products, but also the important protection products. It includes wealth management, includes the plan and products for building wealth, utilizing that wealth, protecting wealth and transferring wealth. So we view it as covering all of those areas. So a much more holistic approach, but certainly more of a planning approach. And I love the fact that you mentioned the protection side as well. And Donna, I know you've heard me say this many times, even this week at the conference we were just both at. (laughs) And that is our opinion is if you're an advisor and you're only helping your clients manage their assets and not protect their assets, you're doing half of their job, half of your job, right? So you need to do both sides of the equation. And we're in financial institutions, so we should be working with both sides of the balance sheet as well, right? So it is more holistic, wealth management is. Bill, your thoughts on all that? Yeah, I think the perception has changed a lot, especially in the past five or 10 years. In that years ago, banks were generally viewed by the public as, hey, come into the bank, we'll sell you an annuity. And a lot of programs, that's how it was. But I think the programs that are being more progressive are understanding exactly what Donna said, that we need to look at the whole picture. We need to figure out where the pieces fit. And the investment services are just the tools that get us to the plan, to the goals, to where we need to go. I think one of the things that's being realized is that our primary competition is the independent channel. And they're, you know, they're more holistic in their approach. What's interesting is we have, as a channel, done a pretty good job over the last five plus years in embracing financial planning. But it took a long time for that to happen. Right. I mean, like you said, Bill, I mean, we were annuity shops, let's face it, for a long time. Right. But now you're seeing more and more financial planning. And that's partially because our competition was doing that. So we had to catch up. Well, the next thing our competition we know is doing that we have to catch up to is that protection side of the equation. I've had discussions with and I listen to podcasts about independent advisors and it's second nature to the good ones. You know, they do things like at a minimum have annual reviews with the family of their clients and talk about, you know, the protection side by saying, you know, bring in your policies, let's do a policy review, let's make sure the beneficiary situation is right. And let's make sure that you, that your children understand what will happen as you know tr- as wealth gets transferred, what the insurance policies are about, and make sure you have the right coverage. Right, and that's a very powerful dialogue to have from a relationship development standpoint. But also, it's very important to start working with that next generation because of the seventy trillion dollars worth of wealth that's going to be transferred in the next. 20 some odd years, right? So so I think that's I think that's critical. Um, and you're both nodding your heads. You can't see that on the podcast, but we can because we're recording this on video. <laughs> so I assume both of you agree with what I just described. 
Definitely. You know, I think also when independent financial advisors think about protection, they're pretty much thinking about life insurance and long-term care. But there's also auto, homeowner, and, and umbrella insurance. And I think most of our clients are underinsured because an insurance agent doesn't say, what do you need to protect for the most part? It's how much is your house worth? How much is your car worth? What would it cost to replace those? But all of their other assets are at risk. And so it's really important that we kind of spearhead that relationship. At Connecta, we're fortunate in that we have a PNC area. So our financial advisors and insurance agents can work together to ensure that our clients and members are properly insured. You know, what good does it do to build all of that wealth if in an instant it can be taken away? So you noticed a really big grin on Bob's face. So we're gonna we're <laughs> gonna pass it to Bob after Bill gets a chance though. <laughs> so go ahead, Bill. <laughs> oh yeah. It just real quickly. I think one of the biggest issues that we're seeing and why advisors aren't involving themselves on the protection side, I think is a training and knowledge thing. We're all experts on managed accounts and SMAs and annuities and brokered CDs, but a lot of advisors, especially in a bank, don't get that pure insurance training. There's not a whole lot of insurance wholesalers going around doing trainings. Programs weren't set up to do that. That's one of the biggest things that I'm tasked with doing in my role at the bank is bringing in as much of that, I'm sorry, RIA process and ideas and seeing what we can meld into what works in a bank, right? Everything isn't going to work that you do in an RIA, but we can bring enough of it in to where we can come pretty close to that in a bank program. And that's exactly what you should be doing, right? Because that's where the puck is going. So good for you for recognizing that and believing in the value of cross-pollen pollinization with other channels, especially the independent and RIA channels. And Donna, you mentioned other types of protection needs, which is right on target, right? I mean, we're, we work with financial institutions that sell other types of insurance as well. You shouldn't limit it to life or long-term care. You should be talking about all types of protection and bring in your partners in the institution. After all, you know, members and clients Love it when they have a team working for them. That presents a really good face for the institution and it makes the client feel important. So that is leverageable. And, you know, obviously you're going to do that with the appropriate segments of your, of your client base, but that is, that makes a big difference. So, so Bob is all about insurance and you saw how much he was grinning there. So Bob, take it away. <laughs> well, I was grinning for two reasons. I mean, it usually it takes much longer in a podcast to get to the protection question. And we've gotten to it even before the protection question this time. <laughs> we started talking about all this stuff about protection. Then the next question is all about protection. And we've covered a lot of it, but I want to dig in just a little deeper because we all know that a good financial plan typically means no need for a client to hit the panic button during times like this. But during times like this is a great time to talk about protection and talk about stay the course and you know talk about the hard assets and the soft assets. And liability coverage is huge. I just heard a story about from a financial advisor who's signed him and said he was just sued for $800,000 because he hit somebody. Didn't have an umbrella policy. 
Well, you know what? That financial advisor just lost $800,000 of assets under management and an umbrella policy would have cost a thousand bucks. What is going on here? Most banks don't have a PNC arm. So there's so many different partnerships and other avenues to go out there to partner to get those solutions for clients. So it's true. Wealth management programs should focus on both managing and protecting clients' assets. So, Bill, just dig in a little deeper. Do you have partners to do this business with on the, on the life side? Do you guys do it all yourself? How? What kind of support are you getting from that avenue? Because we always hear support is something that need, is needed more in the protection side. Our bank, you know, we used to have a captive agency that was wholly owned. I don't know the whole story about that was partially spun off, but they are a partner with us regardless on the PNC, the life, the whole run there. And I think it really goes back to something that was brought up earlier in that if we don't see it, how can we talk about it? When I had my PNC, my personal PNC agent, when we bought our new house, did a review with me. And my wife was on speakerphone with me. And he's going through those exact questions you talked about, Bob. The umbrella policy, the this, the that. We got on the phone. My wife was like, why does he even ask about that? We just need a homeowner's policy. And I was like, ah, wait a second. Here's why. Because if that happened and we did not have an umbrella policy, that becomes a big liability for us. It's like, oh, uh-huh. Same reason clients don't understand even going beyond insurance protection, but going into legal protection. They don't understand the difference between a will and a power of attorney and a living will. Okay. So those internal and external partnerships, we don't have to be the experts in everything if we can get somebody else in that is an expert. Absolutely. And that goes even for the PNC product line. I mean, I don't think. There's a few out there, and obviously, Donna, you guys have a, a PNC agency in your organization. But, um, Bill, do you guys, I mean, if you need property and capital products, where do you go? What do you do? We've got a list of a couple of people in all the major cities that we cover and say, hey, here's a couple of agents that I know that I've worked with in the past. Give them a call. Let's help. Let's yeah. walk through this. I know them all personally. Let's try to get this done. Yeah. Think about how great it would be if there was somebody in the bank that could do that as well. Yeah. And I think that's where we're, you know, from a, an industry perspective, I think that's where we need to go to when we talk about protection. It does cross into all different avenues and it does, you know, touch on liability coverages because you don't want to have that customer walk in and say, I was just sued, you know? So, so Donna, you sound like your guys are much more in that business with your own property and casualty agency. They're not in as much as I would like them to be in, but we do bring them into our meetings to talk about, you know, the value that they can bring to their clients. You know, no offense, Bill, but (laughs) financial advisors are very protective of their clients. And this is my client and my relationship. and, And I know that not everyone is like, and not every one of mine is like that either, but a lot of them are. So it takes a while to really build that relationship. One of the things that we did the end, oh, I guess a little over a year ago was we brought in a life insurance specialist who all they have to do is invite that specialist in, and that person makes the sale, the commissions are split, 
They don't have to know anything about life insurance. They don't have to be a lowly life insurance salesperson because that's sometimes how they look at it, but they have that expertise there. Still, that person is on the team and still takes some time to get that relationship solidified. So while we're not wannabe, we're still pushing it in that direction. And it just takes one time for something to happen for them to get on board. But I don't want to wait for that. You know, at my former institution, we had somebody who was sued $250,000 by a parent of a child that was bullied by their child on social media. So there are so many things that we never even think of where people can come after our assets. So, And I want to bring it back down to reality because this PNC stuff, this liability stuff, in my opinion, is pie in the sky. If you look at the statistics of the most popular financial planning software package out there, and we all know what that is. I'm throwing out a commercial here. There's 5% usage of the protection life insurance component of that software. So yet we're talking all this great story. Everybody should have liability. Why do we even get financial advisors to talk about life insurance? I mean, that basic need that we all have, you wouldn't get in your car without auto insurance. We all know that. We can talk that, talk about that for 10 hours. What about leaving your house without having your life insured? Donna, I mean, so Donna, I know if you're, if I'm sure you're using a financial planning software package out there. Are you using the component? Are you looking for how much do you need? Three years ago, we brought in somebody to actually do the plans for our advisors. I figured they're good at selling one-on-one. I don't want them inputting data and generating the plan. So because of that, the plans automatically come with that insurance component. And so they can either address it or their clients can wonder why it's not addressed. They can bring in that insurance specialist and back to the point of having a team. I mean, they have somebody that can talk intelligently about each of those things that are part of the plan. So they automatically, the plan automatically defaults. You have to talk protection. Yes. Okay. Well, I always have a top three things that are the takeaway. So I got to write that down because I'll be repeating that again later. And those of you listening in, that's just flip the switch to have it automatically done. Bill, do you have any comments about that? Do you, do, are you going to flip the switch? In our program, I would love to flip the switch across the board. I think a lot of other people listening to this are going to have the same concern is that our team just isn't, you know, that well-versed in the ins and outs of it. I know I, I am to a degree, but not well enough if a complicated case gets in front of me. I'm going to have to bring in a partner. Don, I love your idea of bringing in an insurance specialist. I think that is genius. One of the buyer side on the same team working with your clients. I couldn't get a better situation than that. Yeah. And I'll say it takes a while for that, those relationships to build. This was somebody they knew, but just that trust of, you know, this is my client and I'm going to bring somebody else in to talk about things. There's also the fear of why didn't you ever bring this up to me before when obviously I needed this insurance? So, you know, we have to work through all of that as well. 
I'll say it's probably going to take three years to pay for itself. So just to kind of set the expectation that, you know, to build those relationships and really get it to take hold. Like I said, the financial planning is the plan is done by a department, not the advisor. So we can mandate that insurance piece. But again, I'm with you, Bill. I wouldn't have been able to do it had I not had that expertise available to the advisors. So let me make a couple comments there. So Donna, you and I talked about this, that the ROI on an insurance specialist typically takes three years, right? And you just yes. you just mentioned it. So for any institution out there that doesn't have one and is thinking about it, just realize you have to be committed to it. You have to be committed to three years before you can get a return on that investment. But once that return starts, if it is the right person, it ends up being a big return on investment. And the bigger picture, which shouldn't be forgotten, is that the value that that working with clients on their protection need has to the overall relationship with that client is very valuable, right? It, it definitely increases loyalty. It reduces client attrition if you're working with them holistically and with planning. The overall relationship with that client even if you're not making much money off the insurance component, the overall relationship ends up being much more profitable and those clients utilize more services of the institution. So there's really a holistic value to what you're doing. Some institutions make the mistake of looking just at the ROI of the, you know, on the salary of that, of that person without realizing the increased profitability of, of all the relationships that person has been involved with, right? So there's a, there, there is a bigger picture there. But what's critical is that it is the right person. Then that person engenders trust with the advisors and with the advisor's clients, obviously. So go ahead. You have something to add to that? Yeah, I just don't want to forget the value that insurance specialist brings to businesses. And oh, on yeah. the business service side, you know, our insurance specialist is working with our business services area to do regular workshops to talk about things like key employee and buy-sell agreements and all of those kinds of things. So it's part of also a business services offering. Well, and you and I talked about creating a business protection plan offering and a family protection plan offering, right? And that is... I mean, package it, right? And brand it. It's, it's, that's valuable. So I'd like to ask, because it's related, you have an internal financial planner, obviously, that you described. And have you calculated ROI? And if so, how long did it take for you to get to break even on that person's salary? Have you looked at that? I have, and I don't have the most recent numbers. But the first year, we weren't getting any consistency in the plans, but we could account for $28 million coming in as a result of the plan, you know, of the plans that she had generated. Would they have, would it have come in regardless? Definitely not all of it, possibly yeah. some of it. So it does take a while. And because of that factor, it's really hard to get an ROI on the plans. But if you can get your advisors doing more business after bringing in somebody to do the financial plans, then I Win. think that, that speaks for itself. Other thing is the person who runs that area also runs insurance services and qualified plans. It's a good combination to have together. Yeah, that sounds great. Good for you. Bill, any thoughts to add? 
So Ameriprise has all of those departments. I mean, they're a Goliath, right? We can call in and get that support almost instantaneously. So we do have that, but it's not truly in-house. It's more of outsourced through Ameriprise, but that concept helps. We can go to them or our internal partially owned insurance agency for help on that. We can go direct to Ameriprise for help on financial planning, or we can do it ourselves either way. Can I just add one thing, Scott? I think when we first rolled out this insurance specialist and we put insurance referrals on the advisor scorecards, tons of term life insurance (laughs) referrals going over to them. So it's just about, you know, okay, so there's some activity there. Let's just hone it the same way they do for branch referrals, right? So let's get some quality there. And absolutely. You know, you it's good to see the activity begin, but you have to make sure you guide the activity in the right direction because you don't want just turn, right? right? So, yeah, good. All right, Bob, let me turn it back to you. Okay, it's time for our lightning round question. Our lightning nope. round question <laughs> this month is when you go to a diner, do you even look at the menu? Donna, we'll start with you. Oh, boy. Okay. So if I've never been there, yes, obviously, I look at the at the menu. If I've been there, I usually have a go-to item that I'm going okay. to. However, I'll still look at the menu just in case I've forgotten about something that they have that might be something I would like. So what's your go-to? Well, so we don't typically go to a diner, but okay. if I go to a diner, my go-to is a patty melt, which is so bad for you. Um, but we regularly go to a Mexican restaurant and my go-to changes a lot of times. I know their menu by heart. You know, I'll go in there with, I want this. I'll look at the menu and typically I will choose that, whether it's a fajita tostada or a quesadilla. <laughs> I gave up cheese not long ago. And so, you know, I'm allowed to have accidental cheese. And what that means is if you order something and cheese comes on it, that's fine. Quesadilla doesn't count for accidental cheese. (laughs) You stole my thunder because when I go to a diner, I go to a diner for a patty melt. (laughs) (laughs) So I never look at the menu at all. So you don't have to ask me that question later, Scott. But Bill... I would say 99.9% of the time I look at the menu because I always want to see if there was something I missed. The only time I won't look at the menu is if I walk in and there's a thousand people in there and two servers. I'm just going to make sure my order is ready so we can get it going. It's a good strategy, Bill. (laughs) In and out quickly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, Scott? Well... So when I was young and single and, you know, going out with the guys late night, this is a different type of answer to the question, but we would always, not always, we would usually end the night in a diner, right? It was either, I grew up in New Jersey, it was either White Castle or a diner. (laughs) (laughs) I never looked at the menu for either. White Castle, you just know what you're getting, right? And the diner, when it's late night, uh, for some reason, I always developed this hankering for blueberry pie a la mode late night <laughs> at diners. <laughs> I know. Go figure. Who knows? Especially after drinking a lot of beer, right? 
So where was that follow-up? Where was that follow-up questions? Because we have to ask now. What's the maximum White Castles you've had, Scott? Ten. <laughs> okay. Oh God. After that, that's it was rough like... to wake up to in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very rough. <laughs> okay. All right. That concludes the lightning round session. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both Donna and Bill for being our panelists today and for the enjoyable discussion and giving us your insights. Much appreciated. And Bob, I know you have some wrap-up thoughts. Yes, I do. And again, thanks Donna and Bill. We really appreciate the conversation today. And I know we, you know, a lot for our listeners to to digest and to really sort through. Let me also throw out a thanks to Jeff Hartney and Kat Seifert on the BISA. And a thanks to Ameriprise for their continuing sponsorship of this podcast series. As I mentioned before, I always have the top three takeaways that I write down, which isn't easy while you're talking. I mean, you got to write these things down as, as everything's going on. But the three things that I wrote that I re- will remember from this podcast, because of your increased relationship, you are now eligible for a financial plan. That's a great idea. I mean, let's, let's think about that of, you know, engaging a client to, to want to take the next step and get a financial plan. Somewhere along the lines, I heard wealth management is about a financial plan and investment services is all about buying a product. I think that rings true for all of us as well. And of course, and I mentioned this earlier, if you have a financial planning software platform, somebody said flip the switch to include protection no matter what. I think if we do that, we can get off of the 5% usage and really start meeting clients' needs from the protection aspect of the business and, and grow and protect their assets. So again, thanks to Ameriprise for the continuing sponsorship of this podcast series. And don't forget the other two podcast series that are focused on our industry, which are Untangling FinTech and Industry Leadership and Success. These can all be found wherever you get your other podcasts and music. What? You don't get podcasts and music? No, Google, Spotify. There's so many places to get them. Google it. So it's time to say goodbye, Scott. (laughs) Goodbye, Scott. (laughs) Thank you all for listening. Thank you for joining us for this episode of BISA Industry Trend Watch. And thanks to Ameriprise for their much appreciated support. Be sure to subscribe to our two other podcast series, Industry Leadership and Success, focused on industry-leading performance and success stories, and Untangling FinTech, aimed at helping you keep up with the evolution of technology offerings in our industry. Goodbye until next month.